Today's reading is from Matthew 21, starting at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say the daughter of Sion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placing their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came came to him at the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children say? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Thank you, Father, that even though our sins are many, your mercy is more. And we pray as we reflect now on Jesus and uh, what he has come to do, that you would give us a bigger sense of your mercy towards us. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are lots of things in our world, aren't there, that just seem too good to be true. I wonder if you've ever got uh, an email like one of these that promises to put, uh, I don't know how much... £5,419 into your bank account. Has anyone replied to one of these? Don't. (laughs) Or perhaps you've got one of these text messages. I've seen them getting lots more recently. Uh, uh, Offering, uh, I don't know what this one's offering. Oh, this is saying suspicious activity. Uh, Click this link and you'll be taken through where you enter your password and then your bank account will be nicely cleared out. Again, don't answer them. But um, there's things, aren't there, that look very genuine. They promise a lot. They promise cash. They promise uh, a chance to to get rich or to avoid being scammed. But they're really not the real deal. And I guess without thinking, we're always asking that question, aren't we? Is this thing the real deal? 
whenever you're buying something, you're thinking, is this the real deal? Or is this product that I'm buying just going to be an empty box? Or is this email I've received the real deal? But what about when it comes to religion? How do we know we got the real deal? Because there are lots of opinions, aren't there, in our world about what God's like or whether there is a God, or if there is a God, how we can please Him, uh, how we can pray to Him, or um, how we might get through death. And of course, there are plenty of people in our own world, maybe some of us here this evening, who are quite happy to live without God, and they seem perfectly happy. And I don't know about you, maybe you've asked yourself a question, I know I have. Is Jesus the real deal? Can he really be trusted? Perhaps you've grown up in church and he's always been there, but you're asking yourself the question, is he someone I can put my trust in completely, my weight upon? And this passage this evening is all about proving to us and reassuring us that Jesus is the real deal, even when it might not seem like it. We see uh, in this passage that Jesus is the real king, he is the real temple, and so that we can come to him. See, first of all, we see that Jesus is the real king. He's the real king. Um, I don't know if you noticed, there's a bit of a surprise here, isn't there, in Jesus' choice of transport. He rides a donkey into Jerusalem. Now, you might think to yourself, well, surely that was an everyday thing. People rode donkeys in those days. But actually, this is the only place in the whole of the New Testament we're told that Jesus took public transport, or private transport uh, in this case. Um, And in fact, Jesus has walked hundreds of miles. He's walked all the way from Galilee in the north uh, down to Jerusalem. So he's walked hundreds of miles, and he gets about a mile outside the city of Jerusalem, and now he decides to take transport into the city. What's going on here? I mean, is it like one of those marathon runners you see, they just fall at the the final moment and they can't make it across the finish line? Well, no, Jesus is doing something hugely symbolic here. I don't know um, if you've ever come across this. Uh, Maybe some of you travel in one. I don't know. But uh, it is a royal carriage. It's put aside for the queen uh, or some other member of the royal family. And you know that if you see... Uh, one of these going uh, up the street, Uh, perhaps not every day in Basingstoke, but if you see one, you know that actually there's a king or queen inside. And actually, there's something similar with what Jesus does here on a donkey. See, notice that Matthew, in verses 4 and 5, he says, this is to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Tim shared these verses with us, didn't he, at the beginning? But here's the verse that comes just before uh, in that bit that's quoted. God says this, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. I mean, look at this king. I mean, we're all asking, aren't we, is China going to be the new superpower? If you're not asking it, um, well, you need to get out more. Uh, But we're all all asking that question uh, because um, I guess uh, we want to know who's on top uh, in terms of the power in our world. But actually, this king makes China look like toy soldiers because his rule will extend from sea to sea 
and from the river to the ends of the earth. But this is not a king who crushes everyone. It's a king who brings peace. And you see, Jesus coming on this donkey, it's like him getting into the royal carriage and going into Jerusalem and declaring, look, I'm this king that was long promised ago. But I guess maybe some of us are thinking, it just doesn't seem like it. I mean, it's easy for Jesus to say he's that type of king, but look what he's riding on. He's riding on a donkey. I mean, you can normally tell, can't you, how powerful someone is by how they travel. Uh, This is the um, U.S. uh, motorcade for the U.S. president. I don't know if anyone's ever seen this, but um, here's a diagram. This is absolutely fascinating of how the president travels. So there's three police cars at the start. They travel five minutes ahead. Uh, There's two cars. One's a a decoy. And, of course, the president's car has got his own air system. It's bulletproof, bombproof, super car thing. Uh, Behind is the Secret Service, uh, and behind them is the press, and then behind them is like a chemical weapons thing. And there are several vans that we don't have a clue what goes on inside. And um, a helicopter goes across as well. And this is my favorite part. Right at the end is an ambulance, and it contains bags of the president's blood, just in case uh, he's needed, uh, it's needed on the way. But actually, Jesus really isn't traveling in a motorcade like this, is he? He's traveling on a donkey. Now, a donkey was the most basic form of transport. It's like President Biden taking one of these. This is a 1980s Ford Fiesta. Um, they served us very well in our family. Uh, it's not a bad car, but it's not the sort of car you expect your head of state to turn up in. But yet Jesus does, doesn't he? This great king of the world, this one whose rule is, extends from end, to the ends of the earth, well, he arrives on a donkey. And that is the entire point. Because notice in verse 5, it says that your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey. It's the same word that comes up in chapter 11 when Jesus says, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. See, Jesus is the real deal. He's the real king, but he does things in a completely different way. See, the Romans, they loved a procession. Here's um, the Roman emperor, Marcus Aurelius. And uh, here's, you just get a sense, don't you? I'm afraid I haven't got any photos from the time, but this is the closest thing. He's on a big chariot behind these war horses. And there would have been uh, thousands and thousands of soldiers marching in to the city. It was a great demonstration of power. And yet, Jesus comes in on a humble donkey. And of course, that points forward to what he does in his death. See, the point in which Jesus reigns in triumph is not when he sits on a throne, but when he's nailed to a cross. And it reminds us, doesn't it, that the fact that Jesus is the real deal doesn't come because he might look powerful according to what we think is powerful, but because he is God's king in God's world. Now, why does it matter he's king? Well, secondly, we see that Jesus is the real temple. Now, if the choice of transport was a surprise, well, what Jesus does next when he arrives in the temple is even more surprising. Because did you notice in verse 12, 
Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Now, this is one of the most confusing actions of Jesus. You probably think to yourself, he's just been described as gentle, and now he's tipping over the temple. What's going on? Now, there's a couple of views on this. Maybe um, you've heard uh, the kind of traditional idea of um, what's going on here. And um, I learned about it because my son gave me this book this week. It's my very first Bible, and it's a great book. It's got some great illustrations. Uh, But I thought, do you know what? I'm going to have a look at this temple business. And uh, here's what the Bible says. Uh, Jesus went to the temple. It was like a marketplace. People were selling things. Jesus could see that the people were making too much money. Suddenly, he began upsetting the whole market. And there's a great picture of the tables tipping over and the birds flying off. How dare you? The temple is meant to be a place where people pray, not a place where people are cheated. See, you might have heard that idea. I'm sorry if... um, some of you have just taught it. <laughs> it's, a, it's an idea I've probably taught at some stage. Uh, but it's the idea that actually Jesus is angry with uh, people doing um, bad trade in the temple. But actually, there's no evidence here of that in the passage. And in fact, he's just as angry with the people who are buying things as those who are selling. Uh, maybe it's uh, that Jesus is annoyed that trade is going on at all in the temple. But again, there's no evidence of that, is there? And in fact, they're selling doves to be offered as sacrifices. But actually, I think there's a different uh, alternative here. And it comes uh, when uh, we get told in verse 13, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. See, when Jesus says that, he quotes from another prophet uh, in the Old Testament, a prophet called Jeremiah. And he speaks about a day where the people are using the temple as a bit of a kind of false field, thinking that God won't touch them. Here's what God says to the people. Will you steal a murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, that's an idol, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. It's the equivalent, isn't it, of thinking, oh, I'll just live how I want in the week. It's all right. I've got uh, church on Sunday. Or maybe we say to ourselves, it's all right. God's sweet with me because I'm Church of England. I've been baptized. But actually, that only goes so far. See, God hates hypocrisy. And he hates religious hypocrisy. And Jesus, when he comes into the temple and kicks over these tables, is in some ways showing what is going to happen to the temple. He's going to put an end to this hypocrisy. And it's a bit of a reminder, isn't it, that as much as Jesus is gentle, that doesn't mean he's passive. And just because Jesus is humble doesn't mean he's tame. See, if we mistreat his name, actually Jesus says there is a day of reckoning. But there is also good news here, because Jesus doesn't come in just to trash the temple but to show us where the true temple is. There's another surprising bit, isn't there, in verse 19. I don't know if you notice it, but Jesus goes to a fig tree. Uh, He wants to find figs, um, but there's no figs, and so he curses the fig tree, and it withers. And it's a real, like, mind, uh, head-scratcher, isn't it, in terms of what's going on. And um, 
we, we think to ourselves, is it just a case of Jesus being hangry? You know, when you're hungry and angry, as, um, or you're hungry and because of that you're angry. But actually there's something else going on here. See, the fig, here's a picture, uh, was a symbol of the temple. And in fact, here's what God says in Jeremiah, just near the passage we just had read. He says, when I go to gather them, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered. See, God says, actually, it's like a fig tree, the temple. It promises much, but there's nothing there. It's like one of those emails getting you to send your bank details. It promises much. It promises 5,419 pounds, but actually you won't get a penny. But the wonderful thing is that Jesus is the true temple. See, in the temple, the children catch hold of um, what's going on, and they start praising Jesus for being the real king. Uh, The temple authorities get annoyed, but then uh, Jesus says to them, have you not read uh, in Psalm 8, uh, he says, from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. See, Psalm 8, um, the first verse is here. It's about how God has created everything to praise Him, to bring Him glory. And that was what the temple was meant to be for. It was like, meant to be like a torch, pointing people the way to the true God. And here Jesus is giving us a picture of what the temple should have been. See, as these children praise God because of Jesus. Well, Jesus is showing us that He is the real temple, the real place we can meet God, at the real place we can praise God, at the real place we can know God. It's easy, isn't it, to get confused about kind of buildings and things like that. We might think that we need to go to a cathedral or St. Mary's, but actually the real temple, the real place to meet God is in Jesus. Now, what does this mean for you and me? Well, imagine how it felt to be told that the temple was going to be cursed like this fig tree. Um, On September 11th, 2001, I know that was probably before a lot of us were born, a huge event happened. I remember I was a teenager, and um, I heard the news that the Twin Towers in New York had fallen, And I remember watching the TV footage, and it just felt really chilling because it felt like the whole world had changed. We didn't know what was coming next. And it was even worse for these guys because the temple had been there a thousand years, and it was the very place that you would meet God. You could pray to God through Him. It gave them huge security. And here Jesus is saying, it's going to wither, it's going to go. But then he makes a wonderful promise. He says in verse 21, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, then you can do what's done to this fig tree. You can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it'll be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, a lot of people read that verse and think, whoa, I can move mountains if I pray hard enough. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying that actually you don't need this temple. You don't need this temple on this mountain because I hear you. You don't need to go through a special place, a special building to connect with God. 
because I've done everything to bring you to God. See, Jesus is the real deal. He's the real king. He's the real temple. And so that means that we can trust him. It means that we don't have to look for a special priest or a special building or kind of have to clean ourselves up before we can approach God. Because Jesus has done everything necessary to bring us to him. And so, as Jesus says in verse 21, all we need to do is to trust and we can find uh, that we will receive in Christ. How do we know that this is the real deal? Especially when there are lots of opinions about religion and God all around us. Well, it's not, what my, uh, it's not that we look for kind of worldly signs of power or we look for impressive buildings. We know Jesus is the real king. We know Jesus is the real temple. And so Jesus invites us all to trust him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you come humble, mounted on a donkey. And we thank you, Jesus, for your character, that even though you have all power in this world, you do not uh, use it to your own ends. And we pray, Jesus, that you help us to understand more and more about how you rule and how you can be trusted, even when we find it difficult. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. People want to know about the donkey. <laughs> they, want to, uh, they want to know what's the, like, what's the, what's the significance of it. Um, is that helpful? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, about the donkey. I've been spending a week reading about donkeys and how many there were and what the history was on them. So do come and ask me afterwards. Um, so, yeah, I think just going back to what I was saying in the talk, the donkey um, was the equivalent of the royal carriage, not because it looked particularly impressive, it didn't, but because of this prophecy uh, in Zechariah that actually this king will come into Jerusalem in humility and, um, uh, and ride on a donkey. Now, I think that doesn't mean that any of us could go on a donkey and go into Jerusalem and suddenly everyone would think we're a king. Uh, there's loads and loads of other prophecies around that that Jesus fulfills. And it's also worth saying, we didn't really get a chance to look at it, but the crowds go with him and they shout out Hosanna, which means O oh, save or God save, to the son of David, which is a title for king as well. And when they shout out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is from a psalm, again, about a king. So there's loads of stuff here kind of saying he's a king. The donkeys are the kind of, the kind of meat in the sandwich. I don't, that's, yeah, not the phrase I want to use, but you know what I mean, yeah. No, that's wonderful, thanks. Yeah. Um, thanks, and so with the donkey, you've got this symbolism. Yeah. But um, what, with Israel now, obviously yeah. Israel in the Bible is used as a symbol, but um, there's a big question about what's the significance of Israel like today? Is it more special than any other country? Yeah, that kind yeah. Of thing? Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, big, big question. I probably won't say hardly um, enough on it, so do come and chat to me afterwards. Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, Israel, I mean, there's loads we could say. That fig tree, as I say, is not a kind of random... Um, thing that Jesus does. It is a sobering picture of what he's going to do with the temple and the people. Um, in chapter 23, it's worth reading ahead. We're going to get to it in a few weeks. 
he goes through all these kind of woes, these kind of words of judgment uh, against all the religious order and all the, um, the, uh, the way um, people have been behaving. And Jesus does call time on the temple and all its system. And um, actually, in AD 70, uh, you can read this in the history books, it's all over, um, the Romans come in and storm Jerusalem and destroy the temple. And the temple's never been uh, rebuilt since. Um, so Jesus says all these stones will be turned upside down, and they literally were. So I don't think that means we don't care about Israel in the sense that we care about all people and we want all people to know Jesus. Um, but I don't think it means that there's this um, particular um, place uh, for uh, the nation because I think of what Jesus said about the fig tree. Yeah, that's really <laughs> um, Jesus spoke in the passage and he said you can move a mountain and um, a big, the most popular question is um, why can't we move mountains? <laughs> um, yeah, so thanks. You've got all the easy ones tonight. Um, so, um, yeah, so there is a kind of a bit of a bad interpretation of this passage where, um, and you sometimes hear it um, from unhelpful people who say, look, you can move mountains if you pray hard enough. And um, if you haven't moved uh, Mount, Mont Blanc into the sea, well, then you haven't got enough faith. You need to sort yourself out and uh, get more faith. It, I don't think it means that at all. Uh, and the reason not is because you've always got to look at stuff in context. Um, and in the passage, we see that this isn't a kind of random instruction. It comes straight after Jesus has cursed the fig tree, and it comes straight after the temple stuff. So I think, as I was trying to say in my talk, that actually this is a great... This isn't there to beat us up. It's not there to say you haven't got enough faith. It's there to say you can move a mountain. It's like an expression of the most biggest thing you could do. You could move the moon, that type of idea. Um, doesn't mean it literally. It means, actually, you don't have to worry about having a temple, having all this system, because Jesus is enough. And by trusting in him and praying to him, actually, we can have all we need. That's really useful. Um, so we're going to finish on thinking about praising God. And the yep. big, a big question is... Um, Surely if God's created us, isn't that just to praise him, isn't that quite needy in design? Yeah, so it could sound like that, couldn't it? It could sound, you know, if I create something just to show off how good Rob is, that does sound a bit self-indulgent, um, and we don't really like people like that. But it is different when it comes to God. First of all, the thing to remember is that God is Trinity. So he's Father, Son, and Spirit, um, and he has always been, and he has always been loving uh, between himself. So the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Spirit loves, uh, uh, loves the Son. I'm trying to remember that. The Spirit glorifies the Father as well. So they're self-mutually um, glorifying. Um, and so when he creates, it's not because God needs to kind of prop himself up or to, to um, uh, build himself up. Rather, it is an expression of that love uh, that has always been there in the universe. Um, and actually, that is a good thing we praise God because he is, everything good in our world comes from him. And uh, if we're to find what's good, well then ultimately we'll trace it back to God. Now we're used to praising people for their abilities, aren't we? Um, our football teams, we're, we're going, yeah, come on, Harry Kane's amazing, all that. Um, we praise people for when they do a good performance. Great work tonight, guys, on the band. Uh, and... Um, and it's the same with God. We praise him because he's good, he's kind, and he's ultimately uh, loving. 
And um, yeah, so that's why it's a delight to praise. That's really useful. Thanks.